Good morning. Um, your scripture reading today is found on page 724. Um, we're starting with Isaiah chapter 61, starting with verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to the bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from the darkness for the, prisoner, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities they have been devastated for generations. Hebrews 1, found on page 1161, starting with verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And jumping down to verse 8. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed but you remain the same, and your years will never end. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this promise that you remain and you will always be here for us. I pray as Pastor Mark comes um, to share the word that you have laid on his heart, that you will still his mind and his spirit, that you will open up our minds and our hearts to hear your word and your spirit. Thank you, Father, for your word and for all the truth that is in it. And I thank you for the beautiful day and um, the goodness that is your word. Thank you for the fruit um, that you have given us, um, and may it bless us today. In your name I pray, amen.
Thank you to Congregant Daughter Abby. I appreciate your prayer and your reading this morning. Thanks also to Yuri and his team, and Ruth and Rose and all the others, Carol Wilson, um, all the others that ministered to our children over the last year. And uh, uh, they made me cry this morning. And that's usually a good indicator that um, I'm listening, paying attention, and they were—they just did wonderful tonight, uh, today. So thank you for all the children who helped, and uh, all the parents rather who helped and got them here and entrusted us with your kids. And we just really very much appreciate it. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you don't—if you haven't done so already—to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. We'll be there in just a moment, um, but I, I want to just for a second, welcome my friends, Ben and Judy. I didn't know you were here. Hello. These, these are my neighbors. And uh, we say hello as we're walking dogs and such. And they have a Bella, little Bella, and we have a bigger Bella, older Bella. And so welcome. It's good to see you. Jesus Christ is the promise when we say Jesus, when I say Jesus Christ is, I mean in his person, himself. We're not thinking here about things he gives us. We're thinking about him in his own person. And he is the promise. He is the pioneer. And he is the perfecter of God's good and sovereign intentions, both in creation and in redemption both for Israel and for the church. That is the central truth of our two-part message, both from last Sunday and this, but it's more than that. It's more than a summary of the first four verses of Isaiah 61 or of the whole of Isaiah 61. It's also a summary of the biblical Christian gospel. Jesus Christ is the promise and he is the pioneer, and he is the perfecter of God's good and sovereign intentions, both in creation at large and in redemption in particular, both for Israel, chosen in the Old Testament, and for the church revealed in the new. If by faith we can understand, if by faith we can accept, if by faith somehow we can apply to our lives and ministries the biblical Christian gospel truth that God is altogether good. He is altogether sovereign and his intentions, both in general and in the particulars, are altogether good all the time. If we can have the faith to believe that, then we might be able to trust him and represent him well in our place and time. Isaiah 61, which Jesus asserts and affirms in Luke 4, that it all starts and ends with him. Isaiah 61 tells us virtually all we need to know about God in Christ Jesus' character, his good and sovereign intentions toward the whole of his creation and toward us to repair what's been broken, to redeem what's been lost, and to restore his good and sovereign order in all the creation. 
The first thing we want to look at here this morning is, I'm not sure, there we go. Who is Jesus Christ, Messiah of Israel? Well, we're not making a presumption here that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of Israel because we've already worked through his proclamation that this passage that we're going to look at that does refer to the Messiah is him. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus Christ is, as Messiah, the promise of God for salvation to all the peoples of the earth. For the Jew and Israel first, also for the Gentile and the church. And that is in his person, in his purposes, and in his work, Jesus Christ is altogether the promise of God for salvation to all the peoples of the earth. Now, outside of Isaiah 61, perhaps the most illustrative, the most helpful, and the most definitive single Bible verse to support this truth is Jesus' revelation in John 14, 6. It's very familiar, I know, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, meaning no one, neither Jew nor Gentile, comes to the Father except through me. I often wonder if we really believed this truth, if we weren't holding out even a smidge of hope that there was another way for loved ones who don't believe, for friends who will not surrender, for whole people groups we have compassion for or a connection to, how might such a firm belief and confidence in Jesus Christ motivate us to be clearer and to pray more? You see, in his person, in his purposes, and in his work, Jesus Christ is the promise of God for salvation for all the peoples of the earth, for the Jew and, and Israel first, also for the Gentile and the church, extending all the way to us here today and this morning. The second thing in answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? Messiah of Israel, everywhere we go, as we follow the Holy Spirit's lead, and in everything we do in Jesus' name, Jesus Christ is the pioneer of and for his people. That is, he blazes the trail before us into new ter territory. Now, the first point was really just a warm-up for what will follow through follow from now on in our message both today and throughout Isaiah 61. Yes, Jesus Christ is God's good and sovereign promise for salvation for Israel and all the peoples of the world, but, and it's a really, really, really big but, we must go with him as he reaches into all the world. That's the implied task. When I was in the army, it wasn't the express task, do this, that got us in trouble. It was all the implied tasks that were required to do that. Well, here, the implied task is, if Jesus Christ is the pioneer of and for his people blazing the trail before us in a new territory, we don't just watch him go. We go with him into all the earth, starting with across the street. The biblical Christian gospel is not for missionaries only. It's not just for mission trips, short or long term. 
And it's not merely for an annual promotion of the Great Commission. It's for all of us, whether we go to, to the uttermost parts of the earth or we've never left Manitoba in our lives. We've talked about this many times, but it bears repeating. With one possible exception, and that exception being the cross, that's probably the only unique work that Jesus did that we don't, in some sense, share with him. Only one in the whole history of humanity could go to the cross to redeem humanity, and that was Jesus Christ. But that's the exception in this regard. With that possible exception, God in Christ Jesus does nothing alone. First, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each has his part in God's work, working together with singular action. Remember, remember the a term for God in the Old Testament, Elohim? It's really plural, gods, but it's always followed by a singular verb. So it's God in his fullness, singular action. God in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, singular purpose singular verb. Now, I, I do realize I'm leaving a lot of Bible and theology out there on the table, but God in Christ Jesus also includes us. He invites us. He even commands us to join him in his redemptive work to reach all the peoples and nations of the earth, starting down the street and across town. Consequently, I'm hoping that we can organize an outreach effort to and for our immediate community, something we haven't really done in a long time. Our neighborhood has changed in the last 20 years, so it's reasonable for us to expect to meet new people and have new opportunities. And so I also hope that we'll take seriously our already established personal relationships with family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers as a bridge for eventual outreach. What if, for example, each of us committed to praying for, listening to, and then obeying the Spirit's lead to bring just one person to church with you this next year. Put another way, what if each of our families committed to praying for, listening to, and then obeying the Spirit's lead to bring just one family to church with us this next year? Do we believe that would honor God in Christ Jesus? I think it would. Do we believe that it would result in good both for his people already here at Bethesda as well as for those he is drawing to himself and who might join us here at Bethesda in response to the Spirit's lead in our invitation? Of course it would. And this points us to that exceptionally important personal and encouraging aspect of Jesus' uniquely divine and functional identity assert, asserted in Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now remember, we're, we're not on our, on our own. This isn't a race that we're just in by ourselves. We're not choosing the path that we're going on. Verse 2 gets it exactly right. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, so literally, the one who goes before us and the one who closes the gap between, behind, behind us. The one who is the scout, the one who is the rear guard, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. So everywhere we go, as we follow the Holy Spirit's lead in everything we do in Jesus' name, Jesus Christ is the pioneer of and for his people, blazing the trail before us into new territory. And finally, in this introduction, whoever God in Christ Jesus is creating us to be. You are not a finished work and neither am I, thank the Lord. But whoever the God in Christ Jesus is creating us to be as individuals, as families, as a congregation, a whole people, Jesus Christ is the perfecter of God's work in, among, and through us. I forgot to turn that page, didn't I? There it is. Jesus Christ is the perfecter of God's work in, among, and through us. So Jesus is God's promise to us for salvation. Jesus is our pioneer and perfecter. Jesus Christ is the perfecter of God's work in creation and in redemption. And this is the one I think we need the most help with. We might believe that Jesus is the perfecter of God's work in all of creation out there, even in all of redemption, and for everyone around us. But how hard is it to believe and rest in the reality that Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus forever will be the perfecter of God's work in us, in me, in you, in us, together. Of the three, promise, pioneer, perfecter, Jesus as perfecter of God's work is one of the broadest, most attested to truths in the Bible and vital for us to accept, believe, and apply. Let's hear these vastly different biblical sources make this very point. First, Job of all people. Job. He, that is God, that is Elohim in the Old Testament, the singular plurality or plural singularity that I just talked about, is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. For he does what he desires, he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Now, can I just share with you just a little thing that I discovered that I hadn't ever seen in this text before? We've been talking about El the names of God in the Old Testament, Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, right? The Spirit, literally. Um, and and he, it popped up here again, verse 13, there you see on your, on your text, on your screen, he, here it is referring back in a verse before, to Elohim, God. Elohim literally means gods. But we know that when it refers to the one true and living God, it's a plural reality and a singular verb that follows, or action. And the text actually says, he, Elohim, is one. Now, the, the English Standard Version of the Bible that, that I've, I'm using here uses the word unchangeable, but the, the actual word, it's, it's literally one. So, so he, the triune God, is one, is literally what this is saying. That was thrilling to me when I saw that. That's fantastic. And who can turn him back? 
the God who is a plurality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that always acts with singular will and action, together as one, what he desires that he does, for he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. That's Job 23, verses 13 and 14. Move at least 2,000 years into the future to the Apostle Paul and his letter to the Philippian church. And we read in chapter 1 and verse 6 of Philippians, a familiar New Testament truth, and I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion or perfect it at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion or bring it to perfection, is the language of the New Testament, at the day of Jesus Christ. Finally, this immensely biblical truth is finally confirmed as proven and absolute for all time and for all of God's people in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. Jesus speaking here, behold, I keep forgetting to change my slide this morning. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet in which the New Testament was written. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus himself is both Alpha and Omega. Jesus himself is both first and last. And Jesus is himself the beginning and the end, the start and the finish of all things. These truths, as they relate personally and specifically to Jesus, were prophesied, they were foretold by the prophet Isaiah at least 700 years before Jesus sat among his Jewish people in that synagogue recorded in Luke chapter 4, reading from Isaiah 61, and then he declared, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. And here we are almost 2,000 years beyond that. And it's still true. So for the next few minutes, whatever time we have remaining this morning, let's, let's look into what fulfillment of Scripture Jesus was talking about, both for himself and for us, when he said these very verses in Isaiah 61 and the truth behind them had been and in fact have been fulfilled. Last Sunday, we spent a good bit of our time and attention confirming that the me of the Spirit of the Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, is upon me because Yahweh has appointed me. And that me refers ultimately to the Messiah of Israel. And in Luke 4, we see Jesus confirming that he, Jesus, is him, Israel's Messiah, as foretold here by the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon him because the Lord has anointed him. Anointed means appointed and empowered. Right? Not just assigned, but appointed and empowered to do what he was sent to do. What we have in the rest of verse 1 and verses two, three, uh, 2 and 3 is a listing of why Messiah would and now has come and what he would be and what he was sent to do. Then in verse 4 we'll see Messiah wouldn't either work on his own 
but rather like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he too would have partners and they are first his people Israel who would rebuild the ancient ruins. They are us in worship of the one true and living God through faith in Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. But let's please not forget that Jesus' surprising declaration of true worship in John 4 is given to correct the sincere false worship of the true God. And those who'd come after him, that is, after the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and births the church, Jesus will renew true worship in, among, and in a sense, even through us. There in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, the hour is coming. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But we'll get to that in in a few moments. It's a little ahead of where we are right now. First, let's look at the first half of verse 1 in Isaiah chapter 61 as well as verses two and three. And the question from the text is is this, what will be the work of Messiah when he comes? What will be the work of Messiah when he comes? And the question of application for us today is, what will be our work now that Messiah has come? What What will be our work now that Messiah has come? Okay, so the first thing we wanna look at here this morning answering this question, what are we going to be doing now that Messiah has come? What will be the work of Messiah when he comes? Well, we see there in the text, number two here on the screen, Messiah has been sent, will come, has now already come and was anointed to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison doors to the bound. So all of that is about freedom. All of that is about rest. All of that is about trust in the one true and living God to help us in our time of need. And and we are to be walking with Jesus as he blazes the trail in front of us into new territory. We are to be behind him and being his hands and feet in the world as he does the work and we help the people to receive what he is doing as he brings good news to the poor. Look at, look at all those verbs, right? Bring, bind up, proclaim, open. These are all very active, very hopeful, very encouraging notes to bring. And Messiah has been sent, will come, and has now already come to bring good news to the poor. Well, why the poor? Most of us probably haven't uh, experienced this in, 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 in the measure of poverty that Jesus has in mind here, but many of us might have been in places of significant need. And when we're in those places, we have to choose between hope and despair. Someone bringing good news is really good news. Messiah has come, Jesus has come to bring good news to the poor, both materially, physically poor, but also to the, especially to the spiritually poor, those of us who need him, and that's all of us. 
And, and also we are to be in the process of joining him as he binds up the brokenhearted wherever there are people who are, who are broken. And, and we all have some level of brokenness. We all have some level of need that we uh, are, are, are yearning for. And we are to be involved with him binding up the brokenhearted. And then we're also to be proclaiming. Here's the word, proclaim. This is not just talk. This is not just whisper. This is proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, for example. We'll see in just a minute. And what are we proclaiming? Liberty to the captives. Now, is this to people in jail? Maybe. But this is more likely people who are bound up, who are captive to false gods, for example, or spiritual oppression or, or some other captivity that they find themselves in, whether it's because it's something that someone did to them or it's because it's something they, they did themselves, some lifestyle choice or something that they have bound themselves to and they are now captive to it. I think that's probably what's in view here. And then B there, to open the prison doors to the bound. Well, that sounds a little bit more like a jail or a prison, although still we can be talking about people who are bound in prisons of their own making, can't we? Whatever the, the case may be, Messiah has been sent, he will come and has now already come to bring good news to the poor and we are to join him in that. To bind up the brokenhearted and we are to join him in that. To proclaim liberty to the captives and we are to join him to that. To open the prison doors to the bound and we are to join him in that. Then verse two, how does it read? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, of the Lord Yahweh's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Messiah has been sent, and he will come, and he has now already come to proclaim, there it is again, the year of the Lord Yahweh's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, that's Elohim, and to comfort all who mourn. So to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to comfort all who mourn. So as Jesus is blazing the trail in front of us as our pioneer, as our perfecter, as the promise of God for salvation to us and to all that we come into contact with, we are to proclaim the year of the Lord Yahweh's favor. Now, this is likely a reference to the year of Jubilee, so once every 50 years, slaves were set free, debts were, were uh, forgiven, and people were freed from the obligations that they had been burdened by over the last 49 years. Once every 50 years, the year of Jubilee. This is probably a reference to that, the favorable year of the Lord Yahweh, when all is forgiven and freedom abounds. And that freedom is not to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want. That freedom is the freedom to honor God with our lives. Freedom in the Bible is to be free from sin. Free from the clutches of sin. Free from the mastery of sin. The oppression of sin. Captivity to sin. Bound by sin. That's freedom in the Bible. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not allow yourself to be subject to a yoke of bondage again. That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. That's the freedom that Christ brings to us. 
That's the freedom that Messiah brings. It's not the kind of freedom that we celebrate here in North America usually. And we're also proclaiming, or he is proclaiming, and, and we are joining him in that, the day of vengeance of our God, that, that there are consequences to sin and there will be a judgment coming. Repent now while there is still time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. You don't have another day that you're, you can be sure of. Nor do I. Today is the day. Why? Because tomorrow may be the day of the Lord's vengeance. And we want to make sure we're right with him before that happens. But we're also comforting all who mourn. So there are many, many reasons to mourn lost ones, lost things, lost jobs, um, lost relationships. All of us have reason to mourn. And the promise is that Messiah Jesus Christ has been sent and we as his emissaries to comfort all who mourn. There's a, a fourth one out of five, so be encouraged, we're almost there. Messiah has been sent, will come, has now already come in the person of Jesus Christ to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit or a spirit of despair. So let's think about these for, for, for just a moment. Jesus Christ Messiah has been sent. He will come. He has now already come. It says here, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. So let's read it. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord Yahweh, that he may be glorified. So we see a little bit of a change here, a shift from a focus on Messiah to those who are receiving from him. Did you notice that? Verses 1 and 2 it's all about Messiah, the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord God is resting because the Lord has anointed him and he is doing these things from verse 1 to 2. Uh, to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to pray, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. I just want us to just pause here and just remember that now there's a little shift going on here to a third party, and it's them. Who are they? In order to understand this passage of Scripture, we have to understand who they are. And we get the first hint here in verse 3. To grant to those, so Messiah has been sent, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. We've talked about Zion for a number of times recently. Zion is both an historical place, Jerusalem, and perhaps even more specifically, the temple in Jerusalem for um, Old Testament worshipers for the one true and living God, for, for the nation of Israel, for Jews. 
But Zion is also a concept. Zion is the place where God's people dwell with God. Wherever that is, this is a sort of Zion right here. We are here to gather with the Lord Jesus Christ, sent as he was by his Father, and we are, in a sense, in that place of meeting him here. So it's a it's an historical geographical place in Israel, but it's also a concept wherever God meets his people. And we can conceptually think about, I want to be in that place where God is. I want to be in that place where the presence of God is. And that place is Zion. Well, it also says to give them, there's the third party again, to them. So, so we're, we're thinking about, okay, so who, who are they? Who are those who mourn in Zion? Uh, who are them that the, the Messiah is giving a, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes? These ashes are probably the ashes of mourning, sackcloth and ashes. You've heard that phrase. It comes straight from the Old Testament. That's when somebody mourns often for a family member who's died. It can also be proclaimed by the king that the whole nation would mourn by wearing sackcloth and, and pouring ashes over their head to be in that place of utter, utter um, humility, even humiliation. This is probably the contrast. Rather than sackcloth and ashes, he will give you a headdress that's beautiful. He will also give you the oil of gladness instead of mourning. So, so we, we mourn, we feel like our energy is being sapped, we feel like we can't go on. Uh, instead of that, he's giving us the oil of gladness and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair or a faint spirit. So, so this is why Messiah came, to, to give us the opposite of those life-draining, life-killing uh, experiences he's coming to give us himself. Watch this now, still verse 3, that they, who are they, we're, we're still coming on it, who are they, may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord Yahweh. So if we look back there in verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they, whoever they are, may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he, that is, God, may be glorified. Now, to be honest with you, it's a little ambiguous, Who's being glorified here? Is it the Messiah? Because he's, he's coming, he's here present, he's giving all these things, he, he's really truly giving himself. All of these are expressions of himself. Or is this the God he's, who sent him? Well, I think probably because just before this, we have, they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh that he may be glorified. It's probably speaking of Yahweh. Probably. But there's also the possibility that he's speaking here of Messiah as well. And that makes perfect sense if Messiah is Jesus and Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is the co-eternal God the Son in the Trinity. He is God in the flesh. Well, that would make perfect sense then. And we've also connected Yahweh to the person of Jesus. 
Very, very, very interesting. Now, our next little, I, I forgot to change my slide again. Our next little and last truth answers our question. Who are the they? Those who mourn in Zion. They are the they. That's where the turn happened. In verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, and then we have a series of theys, they, 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 referring back to those who mourn in Zion, but have been comforted by Messiah's coming. They will, I left out a word there, they will build up the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Look at verse 4. I just basically said it, but they shall, whoever they are, and we, we've tracked it back to verse 3, first line, those who mourn in Zion, rather than mourning, they shall build up the ancient ruins. The ancient ruins of what? Well, of the temple at least, and probably of Jerusalem as a whole. But we're talking about the restoration of true worship here. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, probably speaking of the whole nation of Israel first, and then also more metaphorically, wherever there are groups of people who have lost the knowledge of God, the devastations of many generations. Friends, the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord God, was and is and forever will be upon Jesus. He is the me. And we, so long as we have breath, so long as we are following him, so long as we are here in our place and time, working and living as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are the they. We are the they who are building up the ancient ruins. We are the they who are raising up the former devastations. We are the they who are repairing the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. We are they. We don't do it alone. We do it together. And we don't even do it together uh, so much as we do it with him. And we trust him. We follow him. We have our faith and our hope and all of our eggs in one Jesus basket. We are his and he is ours and as he is our promise from God of salvation, he is also our pioneer who's blazing the trail in front of us. He is also the perfecter who is completing the work that God began in us. And we are they. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this, your word. I pray that you would help us to understand it way beyond my ability to uh, communicate it. That you, Holy Spirit, would open our minds and our hearts to your truth. That you would allow us to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that we would know, would know that Jesus is the promise. He's not so much promising to give us stuff, but, but he is himself the promise. And he doesn't so much send somebody to lead us, he leads us. He is our pioneer that goes before us. And he is our perfecter who comes behind us. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for this hope that we have in, in him. And we proclaim that there is only one true and living God. 
and there is only one Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen.